you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Studios. Little Tokyo, I think it's kind of like bleeding. It's bleeding its soul. We've been in Little Tokyo for the last 52 years now. And uh, this is our home. Our roots are here. And unfortunately, we're going to be um, having to move out. When you have a relationship with your landlord and your landlord's family for decades, and it ends with a lawsuit, and a community feeling like their voices weren't heard, that relationship isn't being honored at the end. What does it mean to have cultural and ethnic centers in a city? LA is known for its many different neighborhoods, from Salvadoran communities to Little Ethiopia, from Koreatown to Boyle Heights. Places where business names are in a language other than English, where you can experience the food, the music, and really the community of a culture from a different part of the world. If you grew up in LA, it's probably easy to take these kinds of places for granted. But as neighborhoods change and rents continue to rise, some of these spaces begin to fade away. So what happens if they do? What is lost? This is How to LA from LAS Studios. I'm Brian De Los Santos, and today we're talking about change and history in Little Tokyo in downtown LA. If you've spent the weekend there recently, it probably felt like the neighborhood is as booming as ever. Huge lines for restaurants or mochi shops, thousands of people wandering through the Village Plaza Mall. But not every business, even the successful ones, are reaping the benefits of this popularity. Many of the neighborhood's legacy businesses, like the iconic Suehiro Cafe, are being forced out of Little Tokyo altogether. Producer Evan Jacoby was there last Sunday to find out what this kind of loss means for the community. I'm here with Mariko Lockridge on historic First Street in Little Tokyo. We're standing in front of Suehiro Cafe and the windows are plastered with cartoon daikons or radishes. His name is Daichan and he is marching <laughs> with bags and boxes to the new location, Suehiro DTLA, just a few blocks away in downtown Los Angeles. We should say too, when you say plastered, you mean truly plastered. There must be like at least 40 of these. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I printed out uh, 100 copies and I only have 20 left, so there are 80 of these signs throughout the windows and inside the restaurant right now. Not bad. Mariko works for the Little Tokyo Service Center. They're a nonprofit community development organization that honestly does a lot in the neighborhood. But Mariko's job is helping small businesses like Suehiro navigate a changing city. 
Most recently, she's been helping them through their eviction and the process of finding a new location. Today, she's introducing me to the restaurant's owner, Kenji Suzuki. So we're going to head inside, and then I need you to make a really important decision about whether you want to sit at a booth, the counter, or at a table. This is something that people like spend a lot of time thinking about every time they walk into Suehiro. I'm sure all the regulars have like their, I will not sit anywhere but here. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if you come in the evening, there's two guys who are always at the counter. Community groups sit in that four-seater over there. People who come drinking at night and they put like three tables together so they can all sit together and drink. Do you have a spot? I love sitting at the counter because I love looking at the TV screen which has scenes from Japan on it. If you haven't been to Suahiro Cafe, Picture a quintessential 1950s American diner, spliced with a traditional Japanese izakaya. There's a veneered wooden countertop on one side of the cafe, a row of private wooden booths on the other. We sit down at the counter, under the TV, with scenes of Japan. Right now it's playing a walking tour of a temple in Tokyo. Hi, Kenji! <laughs> Kenji spots us as we're getting settled. He pulls up a chair next to us and starts to tell us the story of Suehiro's past, present, and future. So my name is Kenji Suzuki and I'm the second generation owner of Suehiro Cafe. This is our flagship uh, restaurant where it all started back in 1972. My mother and my aunt actually started Suehiro. We had come from Japan uh, in 1969. My parents were introduced to Mahjong, which is a Chinese tile game. And they were really hooked on it, so they wanted to open up a Mahjong parlor and have a you know, small kitchen in the back. While they were looking for a space, my father's uh, friend was a cook at a uh, restaurant here in Little Tokyo. And he wanted to have his own restaurant, but he just needed a partner. And so they gave up on the Mahjan idea. Things didn't go very well. I think within the first year, things started falling apart. This cook left. Nobody expected us to stay open. We were serving spaghetti, breakfast, ham and eggs. We were just doing all kinds of things to see what would stick. Eventually, we kind of got into what we like to eat. That was the message my mother gave me. Whatever you like to eat, put on the menu. And that was basically our concept. It wasn't anything complicated. It wasn't anything beautiful. When we ate something, we liked it. We brought it back and we tried to duplicate it. It was true sense of the word, just a comfort food. It's comfort food because we didn't have a real chef. Right, just my mother and my aunt by themselves. Two women with absolutely no uh, business experience, no restaurant experience. You know, they worked hard, but they had no nothing to show for it. There was uh, business on the brink of going bankrupt. They got the sympathy from a lot of places, and one of them was a, uh, a produce man that delivered overripe fruits. You know, so that they could have something to eat. So my mother used to always tell me that they ate black bananas to keep the business going. She worked tirelessly, lunch and dinner. When she welcomed you, you really felt it. When she asked you to please come back, you almost felt an obligation to come back. 
even to this day, we have customers that come in from overseas and they want to make sure they, they come back here because they still remember my mom. I grew up in Little Tokyo. I was 10 when this restaurant opened up. My first job, obviously, was washing dishes. You know, from uh, sixth grade, every summer vacation was spent here. Back then, there was a lot more families that lived in Little Tokyo. It was more of a, um, a real community. Everybody knew each other. Kids, you know, being kids, you know, we, we knew all the, the nooks and crannies, played hide and seek, played tag. I have very fond memories of seeing the customers here. I, I've seen fights, fist fights happen, or, or in the bathroom when the pipe burst. A drunk crashed into our toilet and smashed it up. You know, I mean, you just see a lot of things in the restaurant business uh, over the years. But looking back at it, you know, those were all, you know, part of the memory, part of the history of Little Tokyo and, and part of Suehiro. When I uh, took over from my mom, it really never felt like I was taking over anything. You know, it was my mother's store, and I still feel like it's my mother's store. Like a caretaker, not just for the store, but the community. You know, this is our home, our roots are here. My mother put in a lot of hard work trying to establish this business. And for the last 52 years now, uh, we've been in Little Tokyo. Unfortunately, we're gonna be um, having to move out. And what's happening with us is actually happening to others, you know, like the mom and pop stores and the people that actually live here. Little Tokyo, I think it's kind of like bleeding. Um, it's bleeding its soul. Right now we see more foot traffic than ever before, but you know, they're not from Little Tokyo, they're from the outside. It's good that we get more sales that way because we're getting more people, but now I feel like it's getting more diluted uh, as a community. We're losing the stores that really meant something. The ones that were first generation that came from Japan that really brought a lot of culture to little Tokyo. Now that's being replaced by, you know, more of the chain stores or stores that have absolutely nothing to do with the Japanese culture. Do you happen to know what's going to be opening here by any chance? I don't know. Um, what I was told from uh, actually a reporter from LA Times was that back in uh, 2000 and I think 19 is what I was told, our landlord had applied for a marijuana dispensary store with our address on it. He basically told us that he wanted to create a place more like Melrose bringing in, a, like I said, a marijuana dispensary store. He was looking into getting a tattoo parlor. That's what he saw in, in his future for Little Tokyo. And that's the reason why he wanted us to go because, you know, we didn't fit in with his plan. You know, it's the people that made Little Tokyo. If you kick those people out, what's gonna be left? There's value, real value in, in having these people here uh, to keep Little Tokyo what it is. I don't know if it's too late. I hope not. I hope we're able to save the businesses. I hope we're able to save the elderly that are being pushed out. Because if they're gone, Little Tokyo is basically going to just be the name, Little Tokyo, without having any sort of Japanese significance, cultural significance.
After a break, lunch. We're trying some of Mariko's favorite items on the menu, and then she's going to take us on a tour of Little Tokyo and some of the changes it's seen over the years. Stick around. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Welcome back to How to LA. I'm Evan Jacoby. So I think the things that are the most famous items on the menu are... Mariko is walking me through the menu selection here at Suahiro Cafe. During the weekdays, they have the lunch board. She's pointing at this massive wooden bulletin board with hooks, holding up acrylic lettering for all the different specials. Maybe if you were a kid that grew up in, like, the 80s, this will look very familiar to you because it was in every, like, schoolroom. It's like a bunch of holes at one inch apart, and then you can put in, like, little nails to hang things off of. This lunch board and its hanging acrylic letters is one of the things she says she and a lot of people are going to miss most about this location. These are all hand-cut. The white lettering was hand-cut. That woman is no longer with us, and so they don't have something to hand-cut it anymore. So they haven't been able to have new ones anytime recently because they have no one to cut it. So their their specials menu is frozen in time because they refuse to not have it be handmade. Yes. <laughs> she says these are the kinds of things that are impossible to replicate when a legacy business has to change locations. A lot of the aesthetic actually comes from the history and the people. Like, you need years of people dining in a place in order to get to the point where, like, the countertop has, like, a little scuff here or the board looks that way because those are years of history of employees or clients doing things in a certain way, and it's, like, all grandfathered into that history, right? I left Mariko in charge of our order. So can we get the economy plate? And I'm going to get it with the beef shogoyaki, the ginger beef, gyoza, and the hyako, the cold tofu. And then we're also going to get the salmon chazuke. All right, I have a teapot, like a proper tetsubium with like the cast iron decorations and everything. So this one um, is actually not green tea, even though it's called chazuke and cha means like green tea. This is actually fish broth. Um, I'm going to pour this into this, right? Pour this into the rice. Your uh, salmon, seaweed, and pickles mixture. Beautiful. And then what you can do is you can take this spoon right here, fill it with a little bit of the broth, and then you mix in the wasabi. Mm. 
Oh, that's really good. I mean, that is exactly if I had to put like the dictionary definition Wikipedia of comfort food, I feel like it would taste like that. After our lunch, we set off towards the new location for Suihiro Cafe, a few blocks south of Little Tokyo. But the first stop of the tour is actually just across the street from the cafe, where you can see Suihiro's full building and the rest of historic First Street. At the top of this building says A. Spurl, 1882. So the current landlord is, I think, the third generation ownership of this property. This has actually been in the family for like 100 years. Like literally their name is on the top and it says 1882. So these aren't new landlords. This building here, this says Chop Suey. This is owned by Little Tokyo Service Center. This one that- Mariko's pointing at each building, right to left, noting the landlords and tenants in each. This building was bought out by Canon Management, but then those two buildings up there where Fugetsudo is and then Hachioji are owned by the Takahashi family. So that's a Japanese American family. That corner over there is actually right in front, is where the buses came and picked up Americans of Japanese descent and took them to the camps during World War II. And so we have a mix of, you know, large property management companies, family, community developers, museums, um, who all have ownership and are stakeholders on First Street. Just along this one block, Suihiro is not the only business that's faced eviction or closure. Just a few doors over is a closed restaurant. A few doors beyond that, there's a shop called Tokyo Arts and Gifts. This was actually my favorite store in the neighborhood. The woman who ran it used to keep the doors open until 2 in the morning to capitalize on the late night ramen crowd. The moment you walked in, she'd drape a kimono over your shoulders or show you a book of Japanese poems. She sold me a matching set of cufflinks and tie clips. I don't wear a tie. That business has been around since 1946. It's a legacy business. And then when her father passed, she took it over, as many people do with family businesses. They received an eviction notice late last year, literally left on the door. It wasn't hand-delivered. There was no conversation. We head east, down First Street, towards the entrance to the Japanese Village Plaza. This outdoor mall is probably what comes to mind for a lot of people when they think of Little Tokyo. The big red fire tower, tons of restaurants and shops, and always a huge crowd. There's a mix of businesses that are owned by first-generation Japanese immigrants, but then we also have businesses like Sanrio, which is a global corporation, right? Lots of great restaurants and eateries as well. There are huge lines in front of Cafe Dolce or Yamazaki Bakery, people flooding in and out of gift shops and high-fashion stores, we must have walked by 2,000 people getting from one side of the plaza to the other. If this was all you saw when you came to Little Tokyo, I think it'd be hard to describe the neighborhood as bleeding. So I asked Mariko about that. I think outwardly, like it could look to somebody who just comes and sees that, like 2,000 people, and they're like, what do you mean Japanese American community is suffering in Little Tokyo? It looks booming. Yeah. How do you kind of reconcile between a community that's got tons of people coming in and then at the same time you've got people who have been here for just about their whole lives who are saying they don't know if there's a place for them here anymore. So 
I, I want to be super transparent because I don't identify as Japanese American and I grew up in Japan. I'm biracial and bilingual. Um, but I work in this neighborhood and I care really deeply about it. I think that one of the things that you're touching upon is kind of this intergenerational knowledge sharing and passing of information. I have um, a group of volunteers that I work with. I call them Little Tokyo Ambassadors, and they're paired with legacy businesses that exist in the neighborhood for 20 plus years or more. And they work on three to six month marketing projects to increase sales for legacy businesses. And um, I always ask the people that sign up, like, what's your interest in in uh, doing this as volunteer work? Like, why would you commit like several hours a week for three to six months to support a small business in Little Tokyo? I remember one of the volunteers, his name is um, Brady Nakamura. He actually is the um, designer behind Daichan, who is the very cute daikon mascot we saw earlier for Suehiro. And he's 19, he's a college student now, and I remember he said to me, I know that this neighborhood is really important for my grandparents and my parents and they talk about the war and they talk about the stories and they talk about the restaurants and I've been coming here since a kid, but I don't quite know what it is and so I'm volunteering because I want to be connected to that same history that's so important to my family and so I think that's maybe the area where that feeling of um, isolation or displacement from your community maybe comes from is maybe older generations don't have someone to pass that information on to and so there's that fear that it's going to get lost especially as these businesses close and then these younger generations not having the opportunity to connect because their family doesn't run a business in the neighborhood anymore. And back in the day, there were hundreds of family-owned businesses in the neighborhood and hundreds of families that lived in the neighborhood. So it was very easy to be connected to it as a neighborhood. And now it has to be much more intentional. You know, you have to make the decision to have a membership at one of the museums. Um, you have to make the decision to volunteer regularly or get a part-time job in a small business that will pay significantly less than even being a dishwasher at McDonald's at this point in order to be a part of the fabric of the neighborhood and have that be a part of forming your identity. I think it's hard because the opportunities to be connected to the neighborhood have changed drastically. Um, but I don't think it's impossible for Japanese Americans to share that history, but also create new memories in the neighborhood. Okay, the last stop on our tour today is Suihiro Cafe's new location in downtown's historic core. So yeah, so we're like walking up there towards Maine. I usually cut through this parking lot. <laughs> it's a little under 10 minutes walking from Little Tokyo. So as you can already see, <laughs> just by walking in, Suehiro DTLA is massive. The kitchen alone is larger than the entire Suehiro Cafe Little Tokyo location. Right now we're in the main dining area and you'll see that there is a bar counter. So there still is a counter. There are still booths. One change is the fact that there are now vaulted ceilings and an outdoor patio area. Um, if we walk towards the 3rd Street side away from 4th Street, you'll see this kind of uh, long room. <laughs> with another counter inside of it. And the goal is eventually to turn this into like a breakfast counter. Look at our new shoes. 
Oh my gosh, they're so cool. We just buy from the... Do you guys want to introduce yourself to my friend? Wait. He's doing an interview with me. These are Kenji and Tomoko's daughters. Nice they are twins. Karen and Kate, <laughs> and um, they are the third generation of Suikido ownership. She's the tiniest in the family. <laughs> this is Tomoko Suzuki, Kenji's wife and the mind behind the menu at Suikido Cafe. Can I ask you one question about the... Um,楽しみにしていることそうですねえっと新しいお客様もあの心配にしてますもうね私たちは非常に期待しているんですけどもそうですねえっと新しいお客様もあの心配にしてますもうね私たちは非常に期待しているんですけどもそうですねえっと新しい
who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.